Attitude Friday listeners, what's going on? What's uh, happening? Sam, buddy, what's up? Good. Not much, dude. I think um, I start every episode, what's up, buddy? What? <laughs> what is up, buddy? Yeah, yeah, what's up, buddy? Don't call me buddy, pal. Uh, I am going to crack my beer immediately. Thirsty. Uh, dude, it is the Thursday before 4th of July weekend. Um, very excited. Number one question, have you seen Top Gun? I have not, no. You still haven't seen Top Gun? I have not seen it. All right, dude, I don't even know. Uh, I don't even, I was going to go somewhere with this, but I can't now. It is, <laughs> it is probably one of the best movies I've seen. We could just stop in a we while. We could go right now. Let's just cancel the podcast. <laughs> and now we're going to the movies. <laughs> uh, well, before we do that, I'm going to drink this beer. I got a Fort George Quick Wit. I have no idea who put this in our fridge. Belgian-esque ale, uh, 5.2%. Delicious. Thank you for whoever uh, donated that to the beer fridge downstairs. What do you got? Uh, Hoppy by Nature by Breda River. That's a mobile. Uh, going back to Fort George, wasn't there a missing case of some beer? A missing case of... Like coming back from Ahars. I thought oh, that someone was supposed to yes. drop some uh, HSK off. Master Chief of the base here, Master Chief Powell, had bought a Pelican case worth of beer that was supposed to be flown home on a C-27 from Sacramento, and it never showed up. Maybe maybe someone... I think... Oh, yeah. Maybe it finally got here and they put yeah. it in the fridge. Now, nah, dude, I, I don't even think they ever gave it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Master Chief. Um, all right. Let's see here. Today, we got some good stuff to talk about. Before we do that, uh, we've got some shout outs. Let's get into it. All right, dude. Um, one shout out. Uh, just no, one today. Huh? Just one. No rotorooing input. And uh, I, I honestly, I did send the email asking for a day ago and we're going into a holiday <laughs> weekend during transfer season. But hey, uh, I saw the video of this riveting stuff. The 144 here at Mobile, they actually responded to a legit SAR case, um, a burning boat just off a golf port. Six, uh, nope, sorry, seven people and a dog had to abandon ship floating in the water. Um, they launched the crew from here, they weren't even out on a RT or anything. So number one, they beat New Orleans and they beat any of our people who may have been out flying around that day um, and made what everybody in the, this, in the CASA OPDEP says was like the best drop that they've ever seen. Brent Schiffer was the pilot flying, uh, doing the drop, drop, drop. And uh, I did get, somebody did show me the video it was pretty cool. Was, <laughs> I couldn't tell. Like, you know, I saw the, I saw the raft. I was like, oh yeah, it's pretty close. And I have no context, but like light up in the eyes for the Casa pilots. Like this was. That's as good awesome. as it gets. I think. As good as it gets. Yeah. Yep. And it's great good. for them. Yeah. They beat us to it. I mean, you, you were saying earlier, it must've been an optimal time for them. It must've been, they must've already eaten lunch. Cause if, if the SAR alarm goes off at 1045, you'll see the whole cost crew. They'll walk to the galley. Yep. They'll eat in at the galley you gotta eat, you and, gotta then, sit down and, and then come back. You never know how long they're going to go for Right. So they got to get a good full meal. Yeah. And maybe a box lunch to go. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, joking aside, great job guys here at uh, ATC. Uh, any other shout outs there in the fleet? We'd love to hear about it. Love to rep you on the podcast if uh, anybody's listening. Um, so congrats, Brent. Nice job, man. All right. So those are the highlights for the week. So we'll get into our 
uh, recording here. Kenny, who are we talking to today? Today we're talking to uh, Jordan and uh, Neil. They're out in Alpat, and I think we actually gave them a shout out uh, a while back on one of the episodes where they got uh, five star cases, got five lives saved, and just had uh, a lot of good insight and things to share. So I think we're going to sit down with them and uh, get a little insight from them. Sweet. We'll hear all about Alpat. Let's get started. <laughs> Jordan, what's up, buddy? It's Kenny. How are you, man? Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, what's going on? Neil, you there too? I'm here. Welcome. Welcome Flight Suit Friday. What's going on up there in Kodiak? Just sitting in our exit house, you know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We actually got some sunshine right now, so we're enjoying it. Is it? I heard it's a thing where, um, like, wintertime, if the sun comes out, it's like sun liberty or something like that? Vitamin D liberty, where they just let everyone go to go get sun. Is that true? Yeah, we. Uh, I think they frown upon that, but we take the opportunity of that whenever okay. we can. Just uh, lieutenant level and below. Yeah, yeah. Walk yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, three and below walk out. <laughs> Dude, is it? Uh, is it like a balmy fifty degrees up there right now? Yeah, we've had uh, we've had some good weather. Yeah? this last week. Oh uh, yeah, a mid sixties, seventies. It's been a great Kodiak summer so far. Oh yeah. Yeah, when, when the wind is. When summer does come out to Kodiak, it is actually pretty incredible. It's that perfect, sunny, um, you don't have the wind like you do in other places. Mm-hmm. And um, when it's out, it's, it's pretty beautiful. Obviously, it's not always like that, but well, you I guys, appreciate it. You guys are missing out. Mobile last week was 110 uh, heat index and baking uh, sweat through. I actually sweat. My legs sweat through my flight suit last week. <laughs> my legs did. <laughs> I've never had really <laughs> Yeah, dude, come down here for next door. Hey, uh, I know we're kind of rolling already, but uh, just for our, our listeners, can you guys, uh, Jordan, we'll start with you. Just tell us who you are, um, you know, where you're stationed. We, obviously, you're up in Kodiak, but where you've been before, uh, aviation career thus far, general background, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, Jordan Long, I just got up to Alpad last year, so just pretty much finished my first year here and uh, enjoying it, loving it. I was at North Bend as my first Coast Guard tour, 65 um, Deltas, obviously. Back then, I didn't do the echo transition. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're obviously flying Deltas up here still. And then prior to that, I was a 60 IT in the Army and uh, spent most of my, my time in Germany um, flying overseas. Nice. And then uh, I had one quick short tour in the Army in the States before I joined the Coast Guard. Oh, sweet. And I mean, I hear you got an accent there. What are you from, like South Philly or something? <laughs> yeah, you know, a little <laughs> more South than Philly, but yeah, I'm from uh, South Africa originally and nice. uh, emigrated when I was 17. Cool, dude. Well, welcome to the podcast. What about you, Neil? What's up, man? Hey, how you doing? Good. So, uh, Neil Romans, I'm up here at Alpat with Jordan. I'm on my second year up here in Kodiak and loving it uh-huh. uh, with the family up here. Uh, before that was Sector Humboldt Bay, and uh, we were there for about four and a half years. Loved it there too. Nice. Before that, I was an uh, army pilot. I'm a DCA as well. I flew OH 58 for almost ten years before I transitioned into the Coast Guard and was stationed. I must have lucked out or something. Won the lottery. Got stationed in Hawaii for about five years, and then and then California. Damn, um, dude. And up here, so it's been a great journey. That's awesome. Yeah, that's some good army. Like, you're not in the middle of some God knows where, middle of the country. That's some good stuff, dude. Yeah, 
I don't know about Neil, but I definitely realized that pretty quickly. I was five, five years in Germany, and then I had a really good medevac gig in the States, and I realized that the Army was about to get hold of me when that tour was out. So <laughs> luckily, the Coast Guard took care of me. Yeah, get <laughs> out when you can. Oh, man. I saw the green wall coming, you know. That's awesome. Kenny and I are uh, have cracked some beers. I heard you guys got some good uh, beer up there in Alaska. What are you drinking up there? Uh, we got uh, right in front of me here. We got an Alaskan brewing company, Free Ride Pale Ale is what I'm drinking on these days. Nice. I got a uh, Matanuska Skycat Gold. What's that? Mainly because I like the way the can looks the most. <laughs> does it have an airplane on it? It definitely does. Yeah, yeah that's what I figured. Uh, yeah. Got a Fort George beer here. I know, uh, actually, that's the time I met both you guys was uh, in Astoria. One, being students with you, Neil, and then uh, got a chance to fly with you when you came out, Jordan. But I know we've drank beers there together. It's good stuff. Kenny, what do you got? Yeah, I got the uh, Braided River, Hoppy by Nature. I'm normally not a huge regular IPA guy, but uh, reading the notes here, it's got some tropical fruity notes. So, And it meets my uh, threshold of 6%, right at the limit. So, At minimum. <laughs> At minimum. So, are you guys uh, in board shorts and extra tufts right now? Is that the standard apparel for Kodiak? <laughs> yeah, there's a retirement today, so there's some uh, extra liberty, you know. <laughs> nice. We're, uh, we're, we checked out for the day already. Do they actually issue you extra tufts as soon as you get to Alpat? You know, I, they don't, and I think that that's definitely something we need to bring up and maybe make a change. Neil, what do you think? I, I agree with that. You, you get the winter extra tufts with a little extra thick lining. That, that would have really helped out, you know, on that. Mm-hmm. deployment because so. they make the low cut the ankle ones too right are those those are the summer ones those the low nice. cuts well the low cuts are just super efficient honestly I, I think I wear those 90% of the time here <laughs> that is it is true that's the standard footwear of Alaska like you you walk around like 90% of people you yeah. look at their feet they got some extra tufts on naturally yeah yeah it's like uh, flip flops turn to extra tufts when you get to Alaska that's sweet I think it's going to stick with me when I leave Alaska if I leave Alaska because yeah, I never want to tie a shoelace ever again after wearing <laughs> Agreed. Um, what's Kodiak like? Uh, I've been, uh, I've never been there. Have you been there, Kenny? I have, yeah. I was uh, 378 we pulled in there. Okay. But I've only been like late spring and summer, so I only know good, good nice Kodiak. weather Kodiak. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been there in, in the uh, doldrums of winter. Yeah, what do you guys think of it up there? I think uh, Kodiak is just uh, an awesome place to me. Um, it has so many different faces, though, to it. And each year I've been here has been different. From uh, This last winter was super long. It was a lot colder than the winter before. Um, but the summer that we're having now is like already better than the, the last summer I was here. So there's like a surprise around every corner for yeah. you up here. Um, it's rugged, uh, beautiful mountains. Like everything's a deep emerald green right now. And this is, this is absolutely the kind of Kodiak that makes you initially fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. And then it just, it becomes like this love affair as the seasons change, you know, sometimes it treats you well. And sometimes you, you feel like it's just beating you down, but right around the corner, you're just waiting for the fish to run, the sun to come out and, and hit the trail. So I'm just out of curiosity. Did you guys have Kodiak or Alpat high on your list or did you uh, choose Kodiak to avoid the uh, suck of Hitron in Atlantic city? Yeah, I think we should preface that. You're definitely talking to two two army guys that have probably had a lot worse uh, places in our time, and then also <laughs> yeah. we've uh, we both 
like we've talked about this a lot on our deployment stuff, but Neil and I both put Kodiak number one. Um, definitely kind of dang number got one. The realization of how the how you know how the career timeline works with us and. I, I know for me personally, I, I wanted to check that box of like being an Alaskan pilot and having the experience under my belt. I wanted to, it was a dream to get that boxes, those boxes checked, you know? So mm. some yeah. people don't want that. Um, but I did. Yeah. I feel like, uh, every time I see some documentary on Alaska, I'm like, why am I not putting in for Alpat? And then I hear of people talking about how they haven't seen the sun for seven months. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's why I'm not going to do that. Maybe I could just go vacation <laughs> in Alaska, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like the rest of the fleet thinks of Alpat and they're like, yeah, they got some special aircraft commander quality they just make up and and then they go sit on the back of a 378 out of limits for two months at a time, trying not to puke. Um, but I don't know. Overall, you, it sounds like you guys love it. Are you outdoorsy people? I, I think, uh, you know, one of the best ways it was summarized to me is that uh, Kodiak and definitely Alaska, is, it's a simple life, but it's not necessarily an easy life. Uh-huh. And uh, I love the simplicity. I was in, obviously, North Bend before this and now Kodiak. And so, like, I'm very used to not having the big city life and that definitely made it easier to get up here and you appreciate the smaller things, I think, but also you have to not necessarily be outdoorsy, but you've got to be adventurous and creative with your time. Um, you know, you, you have to make your own fun and you have to make your own adventure, whether that's just taking the family to the beach or, you know, the river and fishing all day or taking a, side by side ride up the mountains, that kind of thing. You've got to be willing to kind of open yourself to those opportunities. And, and then when you do that, you kind of realize how cool this place is. Yeah. Have you guys had any, uh, crazy animal encounters like a goat <laughs> or bear? Pretty much all my experiences, uh, with bears have been pretty mellow and I'm mm-hmm. thankful for that. I was fishing on the buskin, which is a pretty local spot that I'm sure you know about. And, uh, I've, I've definitely had a mama in our cubs. I was with another couple pilots and, uh, they pushed us up, up off the river banks, up the river. Um, and I had a bear, my next door neighbor left his trash in the garage, which is a no, no. And, uh, we, we had a bear in our backyard in our neighborhood for about a week oh, in man. and out. So yeah. You know, I've heard some good stories. There was some, I, I don't remember who this pilot is, but I I think he was the EO or AEO up there at one point, And, uh, he was like an ultra marathon runner and was running through Kodiak and didn't he get chased by uh, a mama grizzly bear uh, up the side of whatever mountain you have there and then had to call on a sat phone in for like a 60 to come <laughs> save him or something like that? Yeah, no, I, I think that was uh, Commander, uh, was it Merrill? Uh, okay. Yeah. Maybe that was him. That's yeah. uh, the lore of that legend uh, is true and is still talked about to this day, especially the uh, new people checking in. <laughs> That's an absolutely insane story. I can't believe, uh, and they got him out of there. That bear apparently just wouldn't leave him alone at yeah. all. And like his last option was to divert the train, the trainer sixty, and to come scoop him up off the top of the mountain. They got him. I could just <laughs> yeah. imagine like somebody calling out on a radio that they had, like, "Is there any helicopter in the area? <laughs> like, I need immediate <laughs> evac from whatever location in the middle of the island. I'm going to die." <laughs> oh yeah, man. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I've been to Alaska a few times, and every time I've stepped outside and walked out to the woods, I'm like, I am not the top of the food chain. 
Like there is, this is real deal (laughs) out here. Nice dude. That sounds good. I mean, I I feel like a lot of people leave Alaska, uh, loving it. You know, they might go there kicking and screaming. Like, I don't want to go to Kodiak. And then a lot of the people that you talk to, like the experiences I had there can never be, uh, beaten. Like they're just incredible flying experiences. Yeah. Neil and I were kind of talking about that. And I think if you're in the low 48, a lot of us, I know I was kind of in a, you got your comfort zone and you're, you know, you've got your shops, you've got your, everything that you could want at your disposal. You got your Amazon delivering in two days, that kind of thing. And or probably less nowadays, I don't know. Um, but Alaska is an adventurous place and it definitely, you have to open your mind and yourself to that, that spirit of just accepting it and going with it. And otherwise you won't enjoy it. And, um, I think a lot of people, when they leave, they, they find themselves changed maybe temporarily or permanently in, to that degree of what they expose themselves to. And they, they walk away from Alaska, um, wanting more or, you know, just having had those experiences. And I, I think that's what changes people. Everyone I've met from Alaska that has left is talked about it in that way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Just listening to you guys talking, you talk about like Amazon deliveries when I was in San Francisco, like I could order diapers on Amazon with two hours. They were delivered to my doorstep. You know, (laughs) Uh, you want sushi 20 minutes. You're like, I don't know how someone could even get that order, make sushi and, you know, let alone get it to my house in 20 minutes, but it happened. And uh, like I said, just listening to you guys talk, you kind of have to be open to that, but man, what a cool, awesome experience to be like, well, I guess we don't have diapers and the only place that sells diapers is out of diapers. So I guess the kids run around without <laughs> diapers for the next, uh, and you how, know, however long please. that takes, you know, and you got to be okay with that. And everybody knows that and everybody's okay with that. You know? yeah. um, so like, if that's your priority, you're probably not going to, if you keep that mentality, you're probably not going to enjoy it. But if you come here and you realize the things that you can do, um, Tuesday night, I got off work at, I'm home at five and we hit the beach and we were on the beach till 11 PM and the sun hasn't even set yet. That's cool. And we're, uh, hanging, hanging out. It was a beautiful day. Honestly, it was probably close to 70 degrees. It was just calm wind and beautiful and got home at like midnight and, uh, absolutely beautiful day. And, you know, been on the beach with the bonfire for the last five hours. So, man, yeah, I'm assuming you get a really good sense of community up there as well. Right. So, you know, go knock on a neighbor's door and like, you don't even have to explain why you don't have diapers. They're just like, yeah, I think we got some like, hold on. Uh, and then on the flip side, I'm assuming you can get some as much solitude as you want is as well. Definitely got the solitude if you want it. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys live on base or are you off base? So I live on base, uh, which has worked out really well for me. Uh, I've got two kids, 11 and eight. Mm. And so having, uh, the on base community and like a, other kids for them to run around with and kind of free range them a little bit as, as best you can has been uh, great for my family. Uh, one of the reasons we've enjoyed it so well up here too is, uh, you know, if you have kids in like that age range, they're getting old enough to, to get on the river and fish and not be bare food, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, actually get to it. They're going to be spoiled for the rest of their life. Like anywhere they go after that and be like, why, why aren't there so many fish in the rivers here? You know? Yeah. Um, so we've been living on base and, uh, and it's been treating us well. 
I think I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe as their kids as free range, but I, I love it. Like, yeah, I got two. They're free range. They're eight and eleven. <laughs> uh, what about you, Jordan? Are you living on base? I I don't live on base. We actually, luckily, um, in, believe it or not, in twenty twenty one, we're able to buy a house. Nice. Um, yeah, and uh, the, although Kodiak base is an actual proper base, which is really nice, uh, we. We don't have kids just yet. We're hoping to down the road, but it's nice to be in the community. My wife works at the hospital and she has about a 90 second commute. And for me, I have, you know, 15, 20 minute drive around the island to the base, which is nothing. I, I don't mind the commute, but I really enjoy being part of the community a little more. My neighbors, uh, like a native Alaskan, and he's always bringing me his extra smoked salmon that they made. And mm-hmm. um, at you know, tons of moose dropped off from him that he got from a hunt or something like that. And just definitely have a different perspective to the base um, as far as community goes. And like you were saying, if I need anything, I've got a little cul-de-sac of houses that they all know that I deploy on a ship for a month at a time. And, you know, my, my next door neighbor's got a side-by-side with a snow machine on it. So all winter long, he just plowed my driveway anytime it snowed. So <laughs> my awesome. wife do that, you know, so. Uh, I figured just shifting back towards uh, helicopter flying it, question to either of you guys, what is it like flying uh, fuel limited power limited and no de-icing capability aircraft in the gnarliest weather that the coast guard flies in? I'll let you handle that one. Neil. Uh, very <laughs> carefully. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. That's the challenge we face up here is uh, oftentimes the weather isn't favorable for the equipment that we're flying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what you need up here, I think that's the reason for the Alaska AC syllabus is to, to get up here and do half a summer and, and a whole winter and just see what the weather can do, what the aircraft's capabilities are and what your capabilities are before, you know, you're kind of out there alone and unafraid between long stretches, mm-hmm. between landing sites and, and refuel. Um, when we get out there in the uh, shipboard out in the Bering Sea, you know, we're, you know, 500 miles easy from like the last point of the supply chain. So you're, you're really out there. And when it comes to fuel planning, you know, you need to, to keep in mind and have the, the weather experience out there. Like what's my range from the ship? What's my range from land plus mm-hmm. the reserve? And then the winds, I'm telling you, the winds out there can get, they, they do stuff that I never would believe would happen. How can you get a headwind both ways on a leg? I don't know, but there's uh, out there where the winds will wrap around and between these islands, you'll pick up a headwind when you thought you would have had a tailwind mm-hmm. and watch your being stopped. So you, you got to kind of have that, that knowledge, that possibility exists out there when you're planning your fuel reserve. Yeah. And you guys have a pretty big lack of weather services way out in the Aleutian chain, don't you? Yeah, we, we have, Fortunately, at Kodiak, we have MSCs, like actual weather planners, and they are awesome to work with. Mm-hmm. But even then, you know, it really is just a senior duty aviator and the co-pilot. Just um, if you're lucky, they'll both be LPAD ACs. But, you know, like on Neil, Neil's deployment, that was my first deployment. So I'm learning this Alaskan weather, and he's kind of leading me on it. But we're, there's some good products that uh, Noah puts out. They have a like an Alaskan segment that is dedicated to what's here, but definitely, you know, we don't have the information broadcast like you pick up with ADSB. We, def- you know, we don't have any of that out here really. Mm. And 
you're you don't have any real time once you leave the ship or you know even Cold Bay or Dutch Harbor like whatever weather you had in your head is is planning weather now you've got actual weather in front of you yeah I mean like I don't know about you Kenny but I fly around and often look at the radar overlay to dodge thunderstorms here right and you just can't do that up there because there's no cell coverage probably half the places that you guys fly to once you get out to Kodiak, there's like, there's no radar coverage. So even, even for Kodiak Island, there's no weather radar coverage. Um, and certainly down the Aleutian chain, there's none as well. So yeah, you really, we try and source from as many different sources as we can for flight. Alaska weather unit, uh, has been great. They pull products from the Alaska weather unit, which is uh, NWS is great. And, we use windy models a lot to kind of fill in the gap to see what the, the trend is going to be. Mm-hmm. And those, uh, if used properly, those can get you a pretty good picture of what's happening around you to help you make a decision. Um, yeah, you're, you're kind of like uh, pulling a bunch of different weather cams and some taps and some stuff and then adding in your own pilot instinct of flying up here and experience of, hey, this is going to be smart weather to fly in or, or hey, this is not going to be smart weather to fly in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, Sam and I were in uh, San Francisco together and we, you know, joke about, yeah, if you just assume that the weather is going to be the worst that it possibly could be, um, you'll never get caught off guard. You might be pleasantly surprised by weather, but and I'm assuming you guys have to do the same thing. Like, hey, if we take off and we're trying to get here, we have to assume zero, zero in the worst wind conditions. And if I can still make it, you know, to that point and make it back, like, okay, e- easy decision as opposed to like, eh, man, if, if we're going to commit ourselves to that, we better start taking in the, the gain to this mission into equation because the risk is going to be high. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like that. I was in, obviously Neil was in Humboldt and I was on the North Bend. So we both had that kind of West coast Marine fog winds. We kind of grew up in the coast guard with that. And it's, it's everything that that was. And then more just from the remoteness and the, the distance plus the, the low pressure, systems that develop out here you know just i think one of the biggest changes i've always read about it you know that the low pressure changes over time what it would do to your altimeter yeah and uh, just just on the transit down you know every half an hour you're losing hundreds of feet in altitude because <laughs> you're flying into that low pressure and that that colesman window is just dropping and uh your radar your rat out is totally different to your barrel and you're constantly adjusting that and uh things like that that you just don't have to deal with in other places. Yeah. High to low, look out below, right? Look out below, <laughs> dude. Hey, cool. Uh, I, I keep hearing about this uh, deployment that you guys did with these five SAR cases. You want to give us kind of the quick ESPN version of that? And then, um, you know, you can share exactly some lessons learned or things that you wish you would have done different. Uh, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Tell us about the adventure. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> what an adventure it was. Uh, from start to finish, it was, I want to say it was a grind, but it kind of felt like, like we were grinding, uh, just to get on the ship. We had really bad weather here in Kodiak. So Mm -hmm. over the course of like three days, we tried to embark and just weather wasn't favorable. Um, so we ended up turning the ship down, uh, towards the Bering Sea and Jordan and I, we got a good weather window and we ferried the aircraft all the way down to Dutch Harbor. It's not normally the way we do things. Mm -hmm. Um, and then once once we got embarked on, we got workup done. We were operational. It was great. Uh, 
we went out and did I'm like, okay, Jordan, let's go do an area fam. So we did an area fam, this little place called Akitan Island. You do a lot of medevacs out of there. And then, uh, and then boom, like the next day, that was our, our first case. Uh, we had a non-maritime medevac out of Akitan of a heart attack patient. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was like, it was like on, uh, shortly after we got a maritime medevac request when the fishing vessel America's finest, uh, crew member suffered a partial amputation of their foot. Ugh. Uh, it was, and the, and the weather was on to like that Accutan, the weather came in and like, it didn't let up the entire trip. So after America's finest, we were uh, on the fishing vessel Phoenix, uh, responding as a maritime medevac there of a uh, patient suffering from kidney failure. Um, and then again, fishing vessel Phoenix, like the next day for a stroke patient. Twice on the and same then we, boat? No way. From the, from the same boat. Yeah. We couldn't believe it. Uh, <laughs> when they called up, they said, Hey, Phoenix again. Um, and then we wrapped up the deployment, uh, with a non-maritime medevac out of King Cove, which is over by Cold Bay. Okay. Uh, this little the two year old girl with, uh, respiratory distress. And, uh, yeah, that it, pretty much wrapped up the deployment. So it was kind of busy. So you, what boat were you guys on? We were on the Alex Haley. Nice. Oh, was that the oldest <laughs> ship in the fleet? The old the bulldog of the bearing, old bulldog still going. <laughs> old bulldog De- of the bearing. Yeah, they decommissioned the old Douglas Monroe, the three seventy eight last year, and uh, Alex Haley's sticking around. That's our only, you know, organic Kodiak cutter now. So every, everything else is uh, the national security cutters coming up TDY uh, to fill in the gaps. That is the only cutter that's actually stationed in Kodiak. Are you serious? Yep, that's it right now. Yeah, so right. they uh, they work on a modernization plan for you know what they're going to eventually send up here no way i didn't know that that's crazy so i mean you gave us a thirty thousand foot view um tell us a little bit about each case i don't know or what what the hardest case was i mean jordan you sent me the video and it looked like you guys got stuck in dutch harbor for a number of days in a massive snowstorm so i'm sure there's some uh, squirrely weather you guys had to fly through yeah from my perspective it was my first lpad deployment and then my first or a shipboard deployment as well because I'd previously been DLQ'd but uh, didn't get to actually do the deployment. So mm-hmm. I was obviously new to the boat and shipboard ops side of things. So that first Accutan medevac was Neil. Um, well, he took the right seat on it and obviously leading the ropes. And the weather in that was absolutely um, varsity. And just the traverse of the aircraft, Neil was doing the final pre-flight planning and I was kind of making, you know, helping out with the traversing and just watching the aircraft move around on the, on the flight deck. There was it was pretty incredible. Um, what kind uh, of pitch and roll are we talking about? It, so that they when we took off when we came back is about five, six, five, and then roll. I think we were at limits, so we were at wind limits uh, and yeah, pitch and roll limits for both for the takeoff and the recovery. Yeah, we came, I remember coming back and the, the boat was doing like 1.5 knots. And I said, Neil, like, why is the boat doing 1.5 knots, man? Like, let's get them up to speed. And uh, I just checked the weather with them and I think the wind was at, was it like 38, 39 knots? And we <laughs> couldn't have 40 knots. 40 you know? with the max. So they're doing the best they could to get under the max. I remember, uh, yeah, just kind of reminiscing on it, just talking like, yeah, the boat was moving around a bit that day and it's kind of, kind of foul weather, you know? So I'm, 
trying to hold it down and uh, <laughs> crew cruise in the hangar. And then I, they get the notification, you know, Hey, uh, the 60 that was in cold Bay was down for maintenance. So, you know, Hey, your primary go on this guy. Yeah. Uh, who's heart attack. So I'm knocking out some flight planning. I'm looking at the front that's coming. It's hit. We're, we're east of Dutch Harbor. Uh, and it's hitting Dutch Harbor and I'm looking at, so I'm like, okay, yeah, it's like one mile over cast at 500 with 45 knot winds. Like, and it's moving towards us very quickly. Ugh. All right. So this is going to be a, this is going to be a go, right? It's a pretty good go at this. So, uh, Jordan led the traverse team down to hangar and I finished, was trying to finish up some flight planning and, uh, Jordan and the team, man, the plane captain and, and all of our support crew led an incredible traverse on a pitching deck. We were at max wind. Uh, to unfold the blades and these guys it was like our third day on the boat Jeez. and uh, these guys did it well easily could have halted the whole operation before we started right if somebody broke something or, or got injured and and they did it so well so we got the the plane out unfolded and I had walked out to meet the crew we we're gonna brief it up and I remember walking out and this bow hit a wave and it sprayed up over and got onto the flight deck and I was like, Oh man, dude, like, this is, <laughs> this gonna, uh, this we're, is good. we're about you to know? earn some flight pay boys. <laughs> <laughs> we're, about, we're about to do it boys. There's water yeah. coming up over the thing. So, um, <laughs> they were like, Hey, heart attack. We don't know how bad, so just hang on for a sec. And, and we're looking at the fuel issue of it. I'd have to fly all the way down to Accutan, land on this little pad. that's literally like, right on it's like kind of the main street and it's right on the water and it's at the base of this huge mountain mm -hmm. so with 40 winds uh it can be very unfavorable in there fortunately the, the winds were coming out of a direction that that we could handle like with facilitated landing so I'm like, okay that's a go ceiling invisibility was uh okay for us to go uh, some some heavy rain uh, maybe about down to one mile i think in there yeah we, there's a couple of walls that we flew through yeah and some areas it was better, but constant wind. Constant wind. I think we clocked in the fifties in the wind on the way down there. Yeah, and uh, and some good turbulence uh, that was going to come along with that. Yeah. Um, but they pick up the, the patient, and then they need to go to Cold Bay uh, to do the wing to wing with the, with the uh, fixed wing uh, transport. So that distance, and I'd have to go around some islands. We did some number crunching. I couldn't quite get enough fuel in the aircraft to be able to pick up the patient and get all the way to cold Bay. And I was like, Hey guys, if we're going to do this and save this person's life, we're going to have to pick them up, come back to the so, ship, oh these conditions, hot refuel, and then, and then take back off from the ship. And then we can make it to cold Bay. Yeah. And that was whether it was one thing. I think that was our biggest risk there. Definitely. Like, are we, and we all knew it. Like, are we, you know, we're accepting risk for the patient in order, in order to do this. So district called back and said, Hey, they did some more diagnostics on him. It was a bad heart attack. Uh, and he absolutely uh, needs to get to Colt Bay. So the gain of saving his life, the way we did was, was outweighed the risk of coming back to the cutter, uh, which has potential, you know, when something breaks or something like that. So, so we all nodded in agreement, did the risk assessment mm -hmm. uh, we're getting into, and, and we went and did it, got out there. So um, can I ask, or you, not, let me, let me ask you a real quick question, Neil, like uh, when a SAR case comes up like that, you know, I'm just thinking about my limited SAR experience in San Francisco, you know, you, you rush out the door, 
uh, try and get out as quickly as possible. But you guys are facing such gnarly conditions coming off the boat and then having to go fly and pick this uh, gentleman up uh, with the winds and, and, you know, volcanic mountains all over the place. And do you feel a pressure or a rush to get off the boat quickly? Or are you guys able to like take a deep breath, do some some pretty hardcore flight planning before you, you step into the helicopter? I, I can attest for Neil, like we have a saying up here that Bering Sea SAR is slow and that's because we have to do this pre-flight planning. And Neil is, if you've ever met him, he's probably one of the most prudent pilots I've ever flown with. He's very deliberate. He yeah. always has a plan. He has his plan A, plan B, plan C's. And in a situation like that, you have to have them. If you think you're just going to fly in there and scoop this dude up and take him to Cold Bay, you know, that's where you would have run out of gas for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Neil was thinking outside the box. He, him and I were definitely in the ops room talking about options and, um, I was doing my best to assist him. But at the same time, you know, this, this deployment was my first rodeo. So I'm kind of scooping everything I can think about as a pilot, but ultimately Neil was leading this case and, uh, he did a, he did an awesome job with the deliberate planning that needed to be done. You guys don't carry rescue swimmers, right? Um, did you bring a HS or did you, do you have the fuel for that? How did that discussion go? So this, this time is that time of year. So this was February, 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 March. We have a rescue swimmer. So in the winter time, we have a rescue swimmer. Oh, okay. with us, and, then, and in the summertime, uh, we typically don't. So we were fortunate. We had, uh, I'll give a shout out to ASU one Luke Wengren. Yeah. did an awesome rescue swimmer with us, part of the team, part of the family. And uh, yeah, he came along for the ride. Really strong swimmer. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'd like to just recognize, like, listen to your story, the whole, out of all that, blade folding made me the most nervous. Like, man, high winds, like, man, you lose that A-frame on that blade folding and that blade sails off and dings the tail cone or whatever. You're like, well, we're we're not going anywhere for a while, you know? So Yeah, and that's like, Jordan Jordan did a good job of saying it. It was told to me when I got here, too, uh, on my first deployment was by some senior folk here, hey. Bearing sea star is slow. And what they mean is, like, if you rush, you can end the case and your ability to respond to it before you even get off the flight deck yeah. by, by making a mistake on the traverse or making a mistake on the unfold. Um, so we, my goal for my team was to, to do the traverse and the unfold just like same way every time. People know their role and expectations. They do it well and we do it efficient. So when the chips are down and we're doing it, like for that Accutan Metavac or any other case, like everyone already knows what to do. We're not switching anything up. You're not trying to rush and do it faster. You're, you already just know what to do and you do it efficiently. And Jordan led the team on that the entire deployment. And uh, the team was spot on with it. Yeah, that's awesome. We also, Go ahead. I wouldn't say we had a... a Watch captain who was on his 11th LPAT and definitely knew what he was doing. So mm-hmm. AMT1, Matt, yeah, shout out to Matt Haig there who was, you know, keeping the, everyone in control there. So I think, you know, as, as you guys are talking about, hey, uh, bearing CSAR is slow. I think as aviators, we can all kind of nod our head in, in agreement in that one. How's the cutter community based off of the deployments you guys have done? Or do they back you on that? Or are they a little more jittery to get you off and get that live save for the, for the OER bullets? I don't think it's for, I guess for the OER bullets, I, I don't get the impression that that's what they're looking at. I do feel like they get 
excited when they pipe it to, uh, mm-hmm. that, hey, this is, uh, we're pushing the helo out for a medevac. And then they get very excited because they want to help and they're, they're pumped up to help you. Mm-hmm. I think on that one, we yeah. slow them down a little bit. There's suddenly non rates out that are sweeping the flight deck with brooms and things <laughs> like that. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Like, what are we doing here? You know? Yeah. yeah so, take it easy. Yeah. Which well, is, we don't touch the helicopter. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's good to see that enthusiasm, but I think sometimes you, you got to kind of temper them a little bit like, you know, hey, so we're going to do this just like we do for a training flight. Everyone knows their job, right? Get the position. Let's do this well. And uh, my experience, Alex Haley is so experienced up here. And their their CEO was a prior uh, Alpatter. So that so they get it. So, like, mission planning with the CEO and the ops, like, we were pretty lockstep. Like, hey, you know, can we do this? Uh, should we do this? And what's the timeline look like? Uh, my experience, and, and I think Jordan, your experience on this patrol with each of the SAR cases we did was 100% support by the uh, the Cutter CEO mm-hmm. and pretty pretty lockstep in all the risk assessments and planning. So that was pretty fortunate, I think. I think uh, you always appreciate a good relationship like that. Yeah, and that's really good to hear. I, you know, from a leadership perspective, it's it's a lot easier like to, you know, at the you know, traversing brief to be like, Hey, everyone's excited. I got it. I need you guys to focus here for the next 15 minutes. Right. As opposed to someone who is just, just wants to get you off the, off the deck and don't really care about the mission, but it sounds like they were just, um, enthusiastic to help and be part of it. Yeah, definitely. Man. Um, we came back from that Akutan case there and then definitely something I haven't experienced before, but being, we always talk about, not committing yourself back to the boat for gas. Mm-hmm. And we had options to stay in Akutan if things had gone really bad. But we to get to Cold Bay, we needed to come back to the to the boat. And that was definitely something that I hadn't planned for before ever. And um, you probably talk about coming back to the boat. So now we've so, got the patient. Yeah, how much gas do you have at that point? Yeah, they, they loaded up with morphine and some other drugs. And so he was, he was pretty out of it. I don't think... He knew that he was going for a helicopter ride on a boat. He, I don't think he knew he was going to a boat. So, <laughs> all right, it's cold fish going up. So we, we load up the patient. We take off out of the pad, you know, uh, into the rain, one mile visibility, but we, we can see the water and we're cruising along back to the boat. And we're like five miles before we got the boat on tack end. And like five miles ago, we're still in the curtain. And all of a sudden, like the, the curtain of rain ends. And then here's this, this white boat bobbing around and the seas have gotten bigger because the front is, is advancing so it's like jordan's talking about like hey you know they're, they're reporting you know pitch and roll we're pretty much at max on both and they're like relative speed is like one knot it's like hey how come only one knot i'm like well because it's, it's, they're hitting 40 on the true wind we can't over 40 is, is out of limits you know mm-hmm. so uh so there's this boat comes out of the curtain and we line up on the back of it, and I'm sure the patient, he's sitting up, and I'm sure he's like, what the, what the heck, where are we going? <laughs> yeah, what the hell have I gotten into? <laughs> and it's the same, you know, like the bow's pitching up and down, you know. You're seeing stuff on the on the, the boat that you don't normally see <laughs> when the seas are calm. Stern's heaving up, but, but we got to do this, right? So we're going to do it as a team. All right. So uh, I'm flying, I line up, and we make our first attempt, get over the deck, and this, this thing's moving pretty good. Uh try and get it lined up and we're getting out of sync. So I'm like, Hey, I'm gonna call, call this call a wave off. So we wave off and we get in the box pattern and steady out. At this point, like, are, hey, you, are you committed to landing to the cutter fuel wise? 
we're committed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm like, Hey, totally doable. That just got, uh, we took too long on the flight deck and then, you know, that doesn't do anyone any favors. So on this next one, we're going to just do like we did before. We're going to plan it down. So lined back up and uh, did just that, just stuck it right there. And then, uh, man, never been more happy to see the talon locked little <laughs> orange light. I, I got that probe in there. Um, so we hit the grid and here comes the, uh, hot refuel team, you know, and they're right up there on that right next to that swimmer window and the, and, uh, the patient's probably looking at him like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> this is purple potato suit yeah. guy. And, uh, Hey, we take the fuel and, uh, we do one more takeoff, uh, which is much easier than landing, uh, which is good. You guys and must then, have rocketed straight to the moon with a f- like almost forty knots of wind coming over the deck. Uh, yeah, it was time time that you know time when you're going to release and take off, and then it's like just barely moved the collective up, and we were we were gone. And then you're three hundred like, feet uh, above that <laughs> above the cutter. <laughs> so now we're jamming to Cold Bay, uh, which is another what forty five fifty minutes from where we were. Yeah, and they were reporting good weather decent enough weather there but i know with the direction of this storm that uh the windward side of the island which we're approaching from is going to be socked in but uh so one more hurdle you know jordan's flying and i've got the low vis route plugged in and we're looking we're squinting see under the layer a little bit and cold bay is reporting well so hey we're going to cut off this guy you know he's had an adventure already mm-hmm. with a little bit of this leg of, of the uh the low vis route and it starts to come in so we line up on the airport and then sure enough, there, there we go, man. The ceilings are coming down and, and the rain's starting to build to a little bit of slush on the windscreen and, and, uh, just drove, drove through it and cold Bay opened up right about two miles and life med was there waiting with the airplane Dang. Yeah. and yeah, dropped Jordan did great landing there. Uh, patient transferred to life med and on the way to Anchorage. And, uh, that was, that was the first case kind of set the, and set honestly, the, like, set the, the tone. Whole, I would have been totally fine just sitting on the boat for the rest of the deployment with a smile. Like, knowing that I did. <laughs> you know? I, wow, that was cool. Got to do it, and I'm good. And, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think many more. people can say they've done a SAR case where they fly in and out of a front in, like, a couple of different times um, just to, yeah. to, to save somebody's life. Like, that's, that's impressive, yeah. dude. So that's number one of five. Hey, everyone. Uh, really enjoyed talking to Jordan and Neil. Uh, so much that uh, we're going to break it up into two parts. So uh, we'll come back and learn about how you can get a headwind in both legs of a flight. So thanks. We say-